If you've been to our church for um, starting this last uh, five weeks, you may not know who I am. I'm one of the pastors. I've been gone on a little mini sabbatical. People have been asking me, um, was your sabbatical restful or productive? And I'll be honest with you, no. Um, I don't, I'm not really good at resting. I, I like just to be productive all the time, but I wasn't really productive either. Uh, but it was a good sabbatical. Uh, my wife and I spent some uh, time praying and the such. And one of the things also we did was to be able to visit churches that we wanted to learn from, churches that are pastored by friends of mine or, or just other churches. And uh, I came away with th three takeaways, uh, either by comparison or by contrast to Living Hope, right? Uh, the first takeaway was this, uh, preachers preaching the Bible, preachers preaching the Bible, um, not only were we able to listen to other preachers, but I was able to listen to Living Hope's preaching, whether it be by uh, the past, uh, pastoral staff or by guest preachers. And I appreciated the fact not only did our uh, preachers preach the Bible, but you were patient in wanting to learn the Bible. Uh, my wife and I, after visiting one church, walked away thinking, gosh, you know, that pastor, it was dynamic, engaging but it just seemed like a motivational talk uh, as opposed to biblical preaching. And so I appreciate uh, preachers preaching the Bible. The second thing that I noticed and, and that I took away is welcoming people smiling. Uh, and as a stranger to new churches, one of the, the common things I realized as we were walking into church, there, was, there were always people there. Uh, sometimes they would hand out programs. Other times they would uh, offer a handshake. But the thing that welcoming people had in common in every single church was they were smiling at us. And in fact, uh, we kind of knew who the ushers were because they were the only ones who were looking at us, smiling. But it kind of, I know they were doing because that's their job, but it made us feel welcomed. And so I appreciate the, the, the men and women in teal shirts for doing that and for the rest of you who go out of your way to do that. And the third thing that, I know, that we noticed was this, and it kind of gave us a contrast to uh, living hope, and that most other churches, uh, when they finish, at about 15, 20 minutes after their service, uh, whatever fellowship area, whether they have donuts and coffee or not, uh, after about 15, 20 minutes, it was mostly empty. And this was true for churches that were even bigger than ours. And we would, like, where did all the people go? Um, because we were used to going out, being packed out here, going out into the patio, thinking, gosh, it's so noisy. These people are talking. They're not leaving. Why are they loitering? Don't they have lives? Um, so one of the takeaways that we had was uh, living hope people like to linger. I'm not sure why, but that was just the case. So uh, preachers preaching the Bible, welcoming team, uh, smiling, and people lingering. Those are the three takeaways that we had. Um, made us appreciate all of you. You know, um, for the last five weeks, we've been uh, through the book of uh, Romans. And last week, Dr. David Talley did a, a magnificent job. Uh, like a seminary professor would, I would listen to it, and it felt like a seminary class on chapter 14. He also gave uh, a broad overview, not only of chapter 14, but chapter 15 up to verse 13. And here was the outline that he gave to us. Um, and, and to be honest with you, after hearing his talk, I, 
uh, was hesitant because he did such a good job of giving this outline, including up to chapter 15, if we can take a look at it on the screen, um, that I didn't feel like I need to go over some of the issues because he did such a good job talking about the differences and how the, the, the two groups of people, the strong and the weak, ought to uh, treat one another. He talked um, about two uh, illustrations, at least two illustrations are, are things that I remember, if you recall, uh, that of the couple who drank. Or uh, if I can say it, uh, it's the wife who grew up in a home where alcohol was, was used in moderation in a healthy manner. And a husband who grew up in a home where alcohol was taboo that you just don't drink or Christians don't drink and they got married. And the wife thought it would be okay for the, the couple to drink wine uh, for dinner while the husband thought, no, 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 we can't do that as Christians. Um, another illustration that he used was as a college professor, he would sometimes get phone calls from uh, Biolan parents who, uh, with alarm, said, my daughter, my child is uh, planning to get a tattoo. Doctor, doctor, can you stop them? Because isn't it against the Bible? And which the professor had to uh, gently remind them, no, uh, it might be something in the Old Testament, but just like eating pork, uh, is prohibited in the Old Testament for the, the covenant people, the Jewish people. It's not necessarily prohibited for the New Testament Christians. And so the overarching kind of the feel that, that we sometimes get when we study Romans 14, 15, as well as 1 Corinthians is this. Okay, listen carefully. The people who drink, get tattoos, watch um, uh, rated R movies, uh, dance, gamble, are in the category of the strong, right? That's kind of the, the, the takeaway. And those who don't drink, don't dance, don't gamble, don't want to have tattoos or don't want their children to get tattoos, uh, you know, don't like to watch R-rated movies, they're considered the weak. And uh, toward the conclusion of Dr. Talley's uh, message, listen carefully, he kind of threw it out there, the couple, uh, that differed in alcohol, uh, initially they decided not to drink and it was the wife who was the stronger who acquiesced to her husband saying, okay, if it bothers your conscience, we won't drink. But at the end, the, what did he say? They started drinking wine together, right? So here is my concern. Now hear me out. I completely agree theologically with everything that he said and, and et cetera. But here's my concern that, it, that we um, can flippantly misapply the truths in 14 and 15 in that what we can think is if I want to drink, if I want to get tattoos, if I want to do whatever, I am actually strong. And those who have a problem, it's your problem. And that we can eventually, if, if we're all mature, we're going to do all of that, that misapplication is that we will eventually be allowed to indulge in whatever I want. And if anyone has an issue with that, you're the problem. Now, uh, a while back, I, I was in Korea for two years. I was an intern for one year, and I was an interim pastor for another year. So I'm stepping into a culture that I was not familiar with, although I was born and raised in Korea for like until I was nine, I went back to a, like a completely new culture for me. 
and I thought I had understood the, the Bible and Christian you know, ethics, etc. But I remember one time, um, as a pastoral intern or some, like someone on pastoral staff, people would ask me, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, or they didn't call me Pastor Steve, but um, what should I do? My in-laws are asking me to go uh, do this ceremony that they do on a yearly basis. And for those of you who grew up in Asian homes, you kind of maybe understand what this is, where they have a picture of a deceased family member have a fruit and f food and alcohol, like makali or something like that, or uh, rice wine, and they serve it to their deceased parents. <coughs> Pastor Steve, they want me to do this. What should I do? And for me, not being real familiar in practice with that, I said, well, I, you know, isn't it just kind of honoring your you know, relatives who passed away, just kind of like, oh, yeah, I miss my, you know, whatever, until I realized that in that culture, that when they do that, for a lot, a lot of people, they feel like the spirit of their ancestors are actually in the room being honored and worshipped, and you are praying to them, bringing them honor so they can in turn, bless you. And so in the movie Milan, ancestor, hear my prayers. And so the reason that some of these Christians had such a tough time with that practice, and the, the reason why they wrestled with it and are asking me is, it is a false worship. It is idol worship. What should I do? Another time I was uh, the interim pastor and I was like barely 30 and I had these people who are um, 10, uh, 15, 20 years older than me sometimes ask me, uh, Pastor Steve, what do I do for my work, for my work, I need to frequently, regularly sit down uh, with people uh, who are superiors or clients and um, what we have to do is drink. Not just drink, but drink, if, if that makes sense. And if I don't like drink, then there's a, a, a loss of trust in me. There's a strong pressure to not only drink socially, professionally, but to get drunk with them. And that part of the culture, I didn't quite understand that in that particular culture, drinking is not just a social thing, but it is to, you have to kind of get drunk a little bit professionally. And so they would ask me these questions in which, for me, going into that culture, I thought, you know, what's the big deal? But the more I talked to them, the more I realized why it's such an issue, that it is not so easy for them. Now, a flippant misapplication of Romans 14 and 15 and 1 Corinthians may lead to say, what's your problem? Just drink it drunk. Uh, offer uh, whatever uh, worship to your ancestors. But for a lot of people in those cultures, it, it, it would really hurt them. So what do we do? 
So my goal for today is not to repeat what was done last week, because I, I and if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that sermon, but uh, go further, and I believe chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, and especially verses 1 and 2, expands uh, verse, uh, chapter 14, and not only expands, but is really t- uh, talking about the broad principle that chapter, 5, chapter 14 is based off of, if that makes sense, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And so this is the broad principle, the timeless principle, regardless of culture, regardless of the issue that God gives to us and saying this is how, in heart, Christians ought to behave and how to relate to others, okay? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Okay, I'm going to build this idea into three stages. Number one, I'm going to try to answer the question, who is the strong? Number two, what is the obligation? And number three, why should we be obligated? Let's begin with the, the first uh, who is the strong? Because it begins by a first-person plural by Paul, we who are strong. Now, let me say this. Uh, just knowing our church's culture, if I had asked, um, and if the ushers had said, are, you know, as you come into the, uh, into the sanctuary, um, if you are strong, would you sit in this, these two sections? If you are weak, would you sit in these two sections. I would have a, a feeling that the vast majority of you, if you're, am I strong or weak? And a lot of you would sit in the weak session, section. Just, that's just, I don't know. I think that's culturally just who you are. A lot of us are. And so a few of you think, no, no, I'm not, I'm not weak. I'm strong. And you'll sit over here and then realize the like vast majority of people are over there, and you just you'll get self-conscious and go, "Oh, oh," and then you think, "Okay, maybe I belong here." Right? Part of it, I don't know if it's uh, our family cultural upbringing. I, I know that uh, you know in the home that I grew up in, um, my parents. I don't know if they did this intentionally to motivate me, but uh, or just as part of my our just own culture, but. Um, and I don't know if it's true of you or the way that you do for your kids, but my parents would com- consistently compare me not to my dumbest friend, but the smartest friend, right? Have, you ever, have your parents ever done that, right? Um, my arch nemesis was JP. My same age, our birthdays are four days apart. Our moms are like best friends. They, they knew each other in Korea, and they immigrated, came close to us. And, um, and you know, when we, have, uh, when we receive our uh, report cards and such, the first question my parents, uh, my mom would ask, well, what did you get? The second question is what? What did JP get? <laughs> right? And I hate to, he's a friend, but there's this dark side of me it's like that, that rooted him to fail. You know, I had plenty of other friends that were dumber, 
my mom never asked me about their grades. I don't know why. Kind of felt unfair. You know, we both ended up going to UCLA. Um, he was a great athlete. He went to law school, et cetera. Uh, and perhaps that's why I never got into law, because I wanted to do something different. Uh, you know, um, I don't know about you, but perhaps I grew up in a, a cultural home that had such high expectation, or you raised your kids in such a way that uh, drove them to succeed, perform, and that they just felt like they were not quite good enough. And there are these set of memes, and um, I don't know if you can relate. I can relate to some of it. I'm kind of guessing my girls can relate to some of these, the Asian dad memes. Do you, do you remember those? Um, I, this is the one that got famous. You are the 99%, why not 100%, <laughs> right? And the whole 99% was like, oh, you know, whatever, the top 1%, you're so privileged, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and then uh, this one, your blood type is B+, failure runs through <laughs> veins. That meme is mean, you know? Um, I, I can't relate to this, but I know many of you can. Finish your work, then you can play the <laughs> piano. Alright, uh, this is my favorite. You're five years old? When I was your age, I was six. <laughs> and it's true, right? I, in Korea, they count years differently, so <laughs> I was six when I was in kindergarten. What's wrong with you? That type of that, right? Um, perhaps the reason why we feel weak is because, um, you know, you're constantly on social media and Others are constantly posting their vacations, uh, their successes, their friends, what they eat. And you're reminded that you don't measure up to what they're doing. Or perhaps you're one of those people who constantly post, but uh, there's a stress and pressure of broadcasting your life. And it, it takes a toll, toll on you. Most of us feel as if we are weak or we feel insecure about certain parts of our lives, do we not? And so when Romans 15 says, we who are strong, it's easy for us to marginalize that passage and think it's for other people, not me. Tim Keller in his commentary reminds us that as we get into chapter 15, he uh, shifts from Christians uh, to brothers, meaning uh, weak and strong brothers, to Christians to neighbors. And the, when it talks to neighbors, we're talking about not only people within the church, but people outside of the church. As if we have a responsibility, a broader responsibility, not only to people within the church, but outside. And so... He is reminding us in some ways, and Tim Keller does, that our strengths are beyond simply, am I able to drink this wine with dinner with a clear conscience and not be addicted, not get buzzed, not cause trouble? And it's interesting that being able to do that is a strength. And Tim Keller says uh, there are a lot of strengths that we have we don't quite realize that are potential strengths. You know, um, can you... Uh, Break out your sermon notes. And 
Um, you know, many of you may not look at it regularly, but this is, today is actually a very good day to look at your, the back of your sermon notes, the back of your sermon notes. Because it is our um, tendency to not look at our lives and count all the assets, the ways in which God has blessed us, or uh, even those blessings, we don't quite know how that can be a blessing to others. So what I've done is I, I've just created just, um, different categories of, of uh, parts of your lives that can be potential strengths. So for example, uh, ability, and that's an easy one, gifts and talents. What am I good at, whether it, they were God-given or developed talents? Now, for example, um, the people who were on stage here, whether they're playing an instrument, singing uh, uh, a song, um, and at some point in time, um, you know, they all have God-given talents that were developed. You know, it's amazing. When you, when you think about a drummer, like they can be um, tone deaf. I'm not saying that, you know, our drummers are tone deaf. But, it's, you know, as they were growing up, they were really good at, like, hitting things. Now, you have a child who loves to hit things, and you realize that child can hit at a rhythm, and they're ambidextrous, and with their feet. That's a gift. They have an ability to maybe be a great drummer, right? And uh, we, we look at this and, and, and realize that that is something that God has given to us, and a lot of these other areas we're going to look at them a little bit later and think, well, is that really a strength that God can use? But I'm going to kind of explain how that can be, okay? Uh, but the bottom line is this, that we all have strengths. We may not be strong in everything, but we all have something or certain categories just by virtue of who you are that God wants to use. And so let's go to the second question. What is the obligation? What is the obligation? For, uh, verse 1 and 2 again. We who are strong now have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please, please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Uh, if that sounds somewhat familiar, if the idea sounds familiar, um, it might, you might be reminded of this millennial's uh, philosophy. It was first spoken uh, in this kind of media in, in 2002 uh, by Peter Parker in Spider-Man. With great power comes great, what? Responsibility. You know that better than the Bible, right? Well, I want to let you know that didn't come from Peter Parker. It didn't come from his uncle, Ben Parker, or the creator, Stan Lee, but it came from the Bible. We who are strong have an obligation to the weak in particular. That whatever blessing that you have received, whoever you are, obligates you. Gives you responsibility. You see, the problem is that... Um, we take our strength as an opportunity to serve ourselves. Um, we take our strength um, as an opportunity to serve ourselves. Because, and he says in verse 1 that it is not to please ourselves. Uh, he wants us to fight the tendency to take whatever strength we have and deploy those assets to bring merely personal or family blessings. 
Let me give you an example. Now, so if, if you're looking in the back, the third to the last um, potential strength is prosperity. And by the way, um, you know, this isn't something I got out of a book. It's not comprehensive or scientific. I just chose random areas of strength that, I, that ends with the letter Y. Um, and that was very important to me. I spent a lot of time with the thesaurus trying to <laughs> find words. And if there are categories that didn't have a, a Y at the end, I just left them out. Uh, so, uh, prosperity. Prosperity. Uh, it's your salary and it's your assets. Like, what's your income potential? And what's your accumulated assets? How much money can you control, leverage? Um, to either to earn, to save, uh, or, or to spend, or to give. Now, uh, the vast majority of, of us, if not all of us, take our prosperity, our assets, and we think, how can we deploy them to please ourselves or my family? Okay. Um, I don't know if you read just recently, there was a um, research published that told us that in order to be so-called happy in Los Angeles, you have to make $205,000 a year. Did you read that, some of you? $205,000 to be happy in LA. And that kind of explains why so many of us feel unhappy, right? How do we keep up? And so our tendency is this, is that I am going to try my best to get $205,000 a year, and once I achieve that, then whatever extra, I can start being generous. And so we try hard to take our prosperity and to please ourselves or our family. We, we take whatever uh, income potential I have or accumulated assets and say, well, you know, what home, what zip code? so that my kids can go to a school that is good and safe and have good API scores, where the drive is reasonable, where it will continue to appreciate, what kind of a car do I really want to be seen in, how many pairs of shoes do I need, what subscriptions do I need to have, uh, what lessons do, I, do my kids need so that they can uh, best be prepared to succeed in life, etc. And whether we like it or not, we take the assets that God has given to us, and we focus on what can please us. But this passage is saying this, and this is the timeless truth that God is giving to us Christians, that your strength is not uh, an opportunity to serve yourself, but your strength is an obligation to serve us, others. Your strength is an obligation to serve others. As, as he had said, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It's an, it's an obligation to bless and to build up others. It's an obligation. The Greek word uh, was originally a legal word, which became an economic word. You're obligated. You are in debt. When you're given a strength, you are in debt to bear others' burden, uh, others burdens. The word bear, we oftentimes take it as a, like a passive thing, as there's an annoying person, let's just bear with that person. 
but the word means uh, something a little bit more active. It's to, to put your shoulders under and carry them. And the New Testament uses it, uh, this particular word, for example, to carry uh, a water jar or pottery jar, a stretcher, a stone, a bags of money, people. It's to, to be burdened by it. It's to take some of their pains uh, by putting it on us. We are called, we are obligated, we are responsible to use our assets, our blessings to bless and build others up. It's not a passive thing. You know, not that long ago, I had a, I, I, I had a coffee with a friend and as we sat down, we were talking, and he, he said to me, Steve, um, you know, in that conversation we had some, with someone else, a third party, um, and, you know, he, it was uncomfortable. He said, what you said was true, but the timing wasn't right. It was insensitive, basically. Because what that person needed, what that other third friend needed from us at that moment was to just be heard and understood. But see, you went right at him with just truth. And he, he, he was really honest and saying, this is so uncomfortable for me to tell you this. And, you know, I, I, I listened the best that I could and saying, you know, you're right. Um, passive bearing would be, oh, I can't believe Steve did that again. I'm just going to try to avoid him. Active bear, bearing is, hey, it's going to hurt. And it might even, yeah, but I need to tell him for his sake. Some of these things that are on this list, you may think it's just who you are, but it's a strength that you have, and that strength gives you an obligation. And if you don't deploy it to bless and, and build others up, I'm going to tell you this, that it can become a curse, a burden, uh, a, a hindrance. Let me give you an example. Like the fifth one you have there is community community and parentheses like relationship are you able to make and develop deep and or broad friendships now some of you here in this room are really good at friendships and um, it's not that hard for you or maybe because you've been with certain groups of people a long time have uh, life experiences um, to have a group of friends that you do life together with, you go on, you vacation together, um, you, uh, you know, you're, you're always included when there's a birthday celebration or uh, when there's an Instagram, you know, Insta story, you're there. And even at church, um, you, find, you find a group of people that, that you find that are very meaningful groups, right? So that's one of your strengths. People just like you and, and such. We who are strong have an obligation to those who are the failings of the weak, okay? If you're good relationally, your tendency is to say, I, I, I'm good with relationship, and I like hanging around with people who are good with relationships. An obligation is, what's my obligation to those people who sometimes may feel marginalized, who may not find it as easy to develop relationships? You know, over the past 26 years, um, you know, Living Hope, we have a lot of people who come and become members and have stayed. But occasionally, once in a while, people leave the church. For, for good reasons, the majority, the vast majority of the time, they're moving away, et cetera. But once in a while, um, 
they'll talk to me and like almost an exit interview. And I would say the number one reason, number one negative reason why someone leaves a home church is because of relationships. And it's not necessarily someone hurt me really deeply, that type of stuff. Because a lot of times people can get over that because I'll just, I'll just avoid that person, you know. I'll just, you know, go to a different service or whatever, sit, you know, far away. But, um, and it's really painful for them and for me. It's like um, the conversation that, that they would have with me is like, I, I felt excluded, not included. I've tried hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, that people just keep forgetting no matter how hard I try. And I know it's a two-way streak. And maybe that person or those people aren't as good with community. Maybe it's one of their weaknesses. But do you understand what I'm saying now? If you're strong, you have now an obligation not to ignore that person, saying, every time that person is invited, oh, it's like a, it's like a joy kill. Kill joy? Joy kill, kill joy? Um, kill joy? I don't know. Okay. Kill joy. But as we are strong, so how do we include uh, people who may not have a community? Does that make sense? If you don't deploy your strength to bless and build others up, it can become actually a curse. Because every time you gather and they're not, every time they're uh, excluded while you're posting, it reminds them that they are not loved and accepted. Let me give you another example. Story. Um, and it's like the last one in the, uh, in the list. Personal experience. What are my unique pains and experiences? Um, at Living Hope, this past year, by far, the most popular sermon series was uh, the Real Conversation series. And one of the reasons why it was so popular, it's not because, not necessarily because we're delving into, you know, controversial topics, although that is meaningful, but because after, because we've learned that after the preacher preaches like 20, 30 minutes, someone comes and tells her story. Roy Kim talks about his divorce. Stephanie Chung talked about uh, her handicapped son who passed away uh, to last year, etc. Their unique and painful story uh, becomes meaningful and, and blesses and builds people up. This past Friday, and the youth group, Catapult Ministry, has been going through a series called The Stories of Grace. And... I don't know if there's a preaching time, but I know that they have a testimony time. And this past Friday, two people, one staff member and one student got up and talked about uh, their encounter with cancer. One who experienced cancer and one who lost a sister through cancer. Um, their story could be hoarded, kept secret. Uh, it's just personal. But because they're saying, you know, my story, although it's painful, because it's part of who I am, I have an obligation. And when people share about a divorce or a, a sickness or whatever it may be, do you realize what it does? It gives permission to others who may have experienced similar things, a parent who may have divorced, etc. 
and saying, I'm not alone in this. That God can still love me and accept me. So that strength, if hoarded, if hidden, can actually become a curse because it prevents other people from uh, receiving of God's grace. Let me give you one final thing, spirituality, spirituality. That's the second to the last one. Spirituality is um, what I call um, faith certainty. Now, some of you grew up in Christian homes. And if someone were to ask you, when did you become a Christian? Or when did you start believing in God? Or when did you start believing that Jesus died on the cross for you, uh, the gospel? And you say, I don't remember ever not believing that. There was a certainty, right? And so, you know, like you think your testimony is not that helpful to anyone. Like, you know, like you didn't do drugs and, you know, violent, et cetera. You're just like, I was just a boring church kid. But do you realize that there are others who struggle in that, whose parents are not saved, and they may be the only Christian in their life, and it's harder for them to go through the ebb and uh, flow of life's uncertainties and hold on to their faith. And they sometimes need someone to come alongside of them and, and do spirituality with them. What is your strength? You know, um, do me a favor. Um, maybe sometime today or this week, take this and just on the left-hand side, mark S-P-U-S, like it's one of my strengths. P is a potential strength or U is like uncertain, unsure. And then ask a significant other or a friend to do the same. Like, hey, what do you think are some of my strengths or potential strengths? Have that person do it for you. And then ask that person, can you like circle three of my strength that you wish I would steward better? Because I might not even see them as a strength. Um, maybe, could you maybe do that for me? And I, I think what happens is because um, we tend to be low-keyed or whatever, we tend to take blessings for granted that, that we don't feel like we have a responsibility with them. And, and perhaps a friend or a significant other can do that for you. Okay, now uh, let me go and, and finish up. I, I think I'm, okay, it says zero, so I don't have any more time. But um, four reasons why. Number one, Christ. Christ. Verse three, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Philippians 2 tells us that um, we ought to have this mind in ourselves, which is also, uh, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, I love that, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Um, let me uh, tell you this. Why is it that Christians who say that they uh, have received the grace of God, the gospel, love of God, why do we have such a difficult time loving the unlovable, sacrificially loving? Because in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. John says that if we say that we know truth and has enlightened us, transformed us, and we cannot come to to forgive, 
accept, embrace those who are unlovable and weak, he's saying, we're still in darkness. I think there are like two reasons why we have such a tough time. And it is this. The first reason is that we believe we are not as bad. We believe we're not as bad. We may intellectually believe that I am a sinner saved only by grace. But the reason why we have such a tough time loving the unlovable is because we don't believe we're really that bad. I think the majority of us, because we grew up in performance-oriented and we still are like that, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, but truth be told, we believe we deserved the grace of God, the love of God. We've worked really hard at it. And so when others hurt us or they're unlovable, our conclusion is they don't deserve grace as much as I do. And the second reason why it's so hard for us is because it's related to that first uh, point is that we don't believe Jesus as good as he is. Look, if you don't really believe you received undeserved love, then Jesus isn't as good. Because all he's doing is giving you what you already deserve. Because then, then that means we're still in darkness. Our hearts haven't been transformed by this truth. Uh, secondly, scripture, verse 4, whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction. Uh, see, church, uh, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Listen, if we are unable to forgive, put up with those who are weak, those who are annoying, we can't proactively bear their burden. Um, it doesn't uh, promote the unity of the church, and it destroys the reputation of the church. Um, I was talking to a, a, a police officer from Living Hope who um, spent several decades in L.A., and one of the most uncomfortable things that he had to deal with is to uh, gather his men or his officers in the morning and on Sunday morning say, okay, you're going to be at this church because they're having a fight, and they need police assistance. And he said it was most, one of the most embarrassing things that he had to do. Fourthly, glory. Glory. And I believe um, that the closer we get to Christ, the more enlightened we are, we desire to honor God. I'm going to have the band to come up at this time. I hate to do this, but I'm going to quote uh, Peter Parker one last time. <laughs> there you go. And so if you remember the movie in 2002, Peter Parker, you know, they're in the funeral, and he's with his um, uh, crush. They kiss, but he walks away, realizing he can't be in love with her. And he talks aloud, gives his, like, philosophy of how he's going to uh, live the rest of his life. And he repeats the words of his uncle, Ben Parker, says, with great power comes great responsibility. And he says, after that, this is my gift Remember, this is my curse. He's saying it's an opportunity for me, and I'm obligated to it. It's not okay for me to have this and watch others die and struggle and hurt. It's a burden I will always carry with me. Listen, Jesus died on the cross for you knowing that you are weak and failing. 
we can't idly sit and having, having received all of that and just ignore others around